I, I think that there's a hypocrisy here in that, you know, one, if President Obama had said those words uh, that you heard from President Trump, that the, the authority is total with the presidency, you know, conservatives' heads would have exploded across the board. Yeah, that's probably true. Oh, yeah, of course um, that's true. Uh, Brett Baer also uh, said two weeks ago there was a lot of coverage saying, why isn't there a national stay-at-home order? Why hasn't the president done this? And right. now it's a no, you're not allowed to do it. So there's that back-and-forth ridiculous game. I know. Uh, that was the rolling, urinating match I was talking about. Every time Trump changes position on how much power he has, the media reflexively takes the opposite view, even though they had the same view yesterday. I think Trump is just poking people with a stick because he feels like it's to his, his advantage somehow. I think that's what he's doing. And part of the reason I think conservatives' heads don't explode when Trump says that, well, part of it is partisanship, but uh, part of it is peop- you don't take what Trump says as seriously as you would have Barack Obama or George Bush. If either one of them had said that, oh, my God, the country would have ground to a halt. Right. If George when, when, Bush had said that, people would have said, oh, my God, the president just said he has total power to do whatever he wants. Be- because you Trump took him seriously. Is, well, right. When Trump is arguing with that far-left chick from CBS, uh, what's her name, he's not declaring permanent presidential uh, policy. He's just just fighting her. And I wouldn't advise it. That's one aspect of his act I don't really like. Uh, but you're right. I, I don't. When he said the president has absolute power, I didn't think for a single second he was gonna he was gonna somehow summon up some sort of wizarding skills and take over the entire government. I thought, ah, <laughs> oh, he's just in an argument with it. And it's again, it's an odd thing for a president to do. I'll grant you that, but I don't think anybody took it seriously because mm. now he is deferring absolutely to to state power. Um, and indeed said yesterday in in you know a rather notable change of tone. I'll be working with all the governors uh, individually to figure out when the right time to open is. Um, and our friend Tim Sandifer is writing this morning in the Dispatch dot com. Jonah Goldberg and Steve Hayes' new uh, news outlet thingy. Um, the genius of the founding fathers in giving uh, power to the states for various, uh, you know, duties, a lot of duties. In fact, the Constitution tells us any power is not specifically designated to the federal government to devolve to the states, which is a principle we've we've just trampled practically to death in the you know second half of the 20th century and first half of the or first chunk of the 21st. But we're still hanging on to it. Uh, but I like a couple of aspects in his piece in particular. Number one, he points out that epidemics were a regular fact of life in the 1780s. They were sweeping through uh, you know towns and cities and states all the time, killing lots of people, lots of children, and the rest of it. And they specifically designed the emergency powers for that sort of thing to be to uh, states and within states to local areas. And I just thought this was interesting. It was just kind of fun to hear this paragraph. Decentralized decision-making is wise because America is so extremely diverse. The population density in New York City is more than 27,000 people per square mile, which is 10 times the population density of Albuquerque, for instance. North Dakota has about four hospital beds per 1,000 people. That's twice as many as Maryland. The average temperature in Phoenix in April, 85 degrees. Anchorage, 45 degrees. Median age, Utah, 31, Maine, 45. There's no sense in using a one-size-fits-all approach for these different places, whether it be to lock down or open up. 
And then he goes into some constitutional stuff that's really good, but it makes it clear that the president really doesn't have, quote-unquote, emergency powers. And even in times of war, when famously Harry Truman tried to nationalize the steel plants when a strike was, a strike was threatened, the Supreme Court knocked it down. And in '05, when George uh, W. was in office, uh, Justice O'Connor, uh, appointed by Reagan, uh, a, a conservative, said a state of war is not a blank check for the president. So I think things are functioning more or less the way they ought to be. Uh, Trump's arguments with the obnoxious uh, reporters in the front row notwithstanding. He doesn't mean it. I know, and I know that's a strange standard coming out of the president of the United States. But he doesn't mean it. He doesn't think he does. He's not going to try to. Just watch what he does, not what he says. Exactly. Yeah, that's the shorthand. Exactly. And yes, it's odd. It's very, very strange. But uh, so far, you know, pretty good. Oh, and the other thing about the president, and we're, we're about to uh, engage in a conversation I can't wait to engage in with a reporter from the Washington Post about the increasingly likely origin of this mess. But listen, can we all agree uh, the WHO really underestimated this thing at first? Uh, partly for for nefarious reasons, because they're under the sway of China, in my opinion. But the liberal media underestimated this. The conservative media underestimated this. The president did. The governors did. Citizens did. I did. Jack did. Nobody knew it was going to explode into a brutal, murderous, global pandemic. Can we just admit that and deal with it as we go now? And you have to throw in, because this is true, what about the Navarro memo? The Navarro memo. Um, if you know what that is. But the various people who did say it was going to be huge always say it's going to be huge. Every one of these, they say it's going to be huge. Uh, so, so it's the stopped clock right twice a day syndrome? Yeah, or the boy who cried wolf, however you want to look at it. But the people that did say it was going to be awful always say it's going to be. Have you been following the whole Navarro memo thing? So he's a yeah. guy in the, in the Trump administration. There is a memo out there in which he said this is going to be terrible. But the people that support Trump's side of it pointed out all the memos since the guy has been uh, in, in his position. He claims everything's going to be the end of the world all the time. <laughs> he's, a, he's an endless once a week. This is going to destroy the economy. This is going to destroy the healthcare system. He's one of those people. Wow. So, so he's like you with World War Three. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> So if if that person turns out to be right, I don't know that you get credit for it, if you know what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, so the uh, the bat-eaten uh, flu, uh, where did it come from? Well, maybe it didn't come from bat-eaten in a wet market. Maybe it's something else. At least that's what the Washington Post is reporting today, and we'll talk to a reporter on that next. Armstrong and Getty. Journalists can stay on a whole bunch of stories that are coming out of this whole mess. The economic part of it, the the virus part of it, the hot, the healthcare part of it, all these different things, you know, and, and really and really follow them to the end and see what stuff at the beginning uh, we, we, we were misled about or um, assumptions were made that turned out to be true on all these different things. And, and one of them is where this stupid virus started. 
Indeed, and uh, I think looking at it in a, a fair and, and kind of neutral way, just a curious way as opposed to a partisan way, is, is, is absolutely oh, necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're hoping to do with Josh Rogan, who's a columnist for the Global Opinion section of the WAPO, the Washington Post. He writes about foreign policy and national security and joins us now. Josh, how are you, sir? Uh, great. Great to be on. Thanks. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Thanks very much. So, uh, this story is absolutely uh, terrific and, and interesting and, and well-written, first of all. But it it appears perhaps, well, it appears certainly that some of our diplomats were really worried about the, the lab security and the practices uh, of a, a lab in Wuhan studying, get this, coronaviruses from bats. Uh, but what worried them? What was going on there? Right. Well, your setup was was spot on. You know, the origin story about the coronavirus is not just about blame or partisanship. It's about finding out exactly what happened, because that's crucial scientific information for how we fight the virus now and prevent the next pandemic in the future, which will surely come. Okay, and what the original Chinese government story was that it came from this Wuhan seafood market. And that was what people just basically went with for a while over the last few weeks. That story broke down for several Interesting reasons. One, the market didn't sell bats. Two, the bats under from the coronavirus are from like a thousand miles away. Three, Chinese researchers pointed out that actually the first cases had nothing to do with the market, so it probably didn't come from the market. Four, they bleached the market, like the government they like sanitized the whole thing, which is the opposite of what you were do if you were engaged in a genuine forensic investigation into mm. the market. And so people inside the government started to think, oh my god, the U.S. government, oh my god. What's in the, what's the other possible theory? Oh, what about these two bat coronavirus research labs right next to the market? Could that be a thing? <laughs> and they dug up this cable from 2018 from these experts who were so concerned about it at the time that they went to this Wuhan Institute of Virology, and they were so shocked by what they saw that they tried to sound the alarm. They tried to say, oh, my God, this place is doing risky bat coronavirus research. It's not safe. And if we don't do something about it, there could be another pandemic that comes from this research from these labs. And now that we have a back coronavirus pandemic coming from the lab, it's starting to look like make a lot of sense. It's not proof, but it's evident. So how close are the labs to the market that people were blaming? So the Wuhan CDC lab, which is like the lower level lab at biosecurity level two, which is like, you know, Better than your high school, but not a lot better. Uh, <laughs> that one's 300 feet from the lab. Really? Now, uh, Wuhan wow. A virology is like 20 miles away. That's the bio-level 4 lab. That's supposed to be the best of the best. But what the cables reveal is that the scientists there, even though they had this level 4 lab, told them that they couldn't keep it safe because they didn't have the right training. And what the U.S. diplomats were saying is like, hey, why don't we give them more training? But the training never came. Now, Josh, we were joking earlier as we were – uh, looking ahead to your interview, that the guys were using books to prop open doors to get a breeze through and <laughs> and, and, and whatever, but wearing uh, flip they, flops and shorts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bringing the bats home as as pets. Uh, but w- <laughs> did they have specifics on what they were not doing there? Right. So yeah. So again, and to be clear, it's just a theory. And the the reason it's just a theory is because the Chinese government has suppressed all the information, silenced all the scientists, jailed all the journalists. You know, withheld all the samples, shut down all the labs that were publishing the genomes. So we can't prove it because they don't want us to prove it because they, they'll never let us find the smoking gun if there is a smoking gun because that's the way they work. Uh, you know, but, in, you know, in the end, either it came from there or it didn't. And the only way we can find out is if we get in there. And that's what these cables are calling for is more investigation into 
into what happened there so we can figure this out one way or the other. It also makes more sense the way they responded with the stuff you just talked about, jailing uh, journalists and doctors disappearing and all that sort of stuff. If a a virus just kind of organically came out of nowhere, it's nobody's fault. Um, These things have happened in in world history. You, You wouldn't necessarily have to react that way. But if it actually came out one of your labs, which you have a responsibility for, and you're trying to promote to the world that your your communist government, your communist way of life is the most efficient system possible, then you can imagine why you'd go to such great lengths to cover it up. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, I wouldn't discount the fact that they would jail journalists and doctors even if it was they weren't responsible because that's just how they do business. In the Chinese Communist Party system, there's no bad news. There's no, gotcha. you know, every crisis is buried every whistleblower is disappeared no matter what the story is but i do think that over the last eight weeks after they started suppressing the information they started to realize that the seafood market story wasn't catching on for like because it didn't make any sense and that now they've ramped up and just last week they ordered all chinese researchers to get official government approval before printing anything about the virus origin so now they know that everyone's on to this story and we don't know what they know, but we know they know more than they're saying and more than we know, and that's the problem. So you, you add, like, a, a closed dictatorship that's you know, has no free information flow, that doesn't respect, you know, free and open society's desires for things like shared public health, and then you add this extra question, and it just, it just it creates a question that we have to solve because it's a life-or-death issue for us. Yeah, I saw a quote from the, the, I think it was the CIA, it was one of our intelligence agencies, um, being quoted in a newspaper that they think that uh, Chairman Xi, Dictator Xi, might have been as misled as the rest of the world and just the way the whole communist system works. They hid it from him as much as they hid it from us. Right, and to be clear, it's not, you know, our intel agencies don't know everything either, right? And there are huge intel gaps, and they're searching for these answers, but they haven't found them, right? Uh, But, yes, Imagine you're like a Chinese scientist and you find out that something horrible happened in your life. Are you going to report it to the local Communist Party boss? No, because that's the end of your life, okay? And same thing if you're the local communist guy. Are you going to report it up to Beijing? No, because that's the end of your life. So this is part of the problem of having a closed, corrupt, you know, uh, system is that the incentives are all for everyone to hide everything all the time. Uh, Nevertheless, we can't absolve Xi Jinping of his level of responsibility because he sets the policy that – prevented them from sharing this information with the international community. Once sure. they did know it, he's been hoarding the PPE. He's been extorting the international community to shut up if they, if they still want their medical equipment that they're still holding. So even after the first set of cover-ups, the cover-ups continue, and those fall squarely in, in uh, Xi's lap. We're talking to Josh Rogan, columnist for the Washington Post. And listen, call me a bitter old uh, cold warrior if you want, Josh. But as you pointed out, a number of the uh, the sins and crimes are just in the very nature of a communist regime. And as he runs a communist regime, I'll just fault him for that. He's running a regime that will yield nothing but misery and death. Uh, having said that, I really appreciate your your measured approach on this is evidence, it's not proof, but... If one of my golf buddies gets radiation poisoning and I'm using uranium golf balls, I mean, that's that's pretty good proof. And the fact that there is a bat coronavirus lab that was run shoddily right where this thing exploded, that's pretty damn solid. I mean, it wasn't good enough to convict O.J., but it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a circumstantial case that grows larger and larger by the day. And, you know, 
to your point about partisanship, like, listen, you know, a, a, you know, opposition to dictatorship and repression and human rights violations and atrocities and the suppression of science, that should be a bipartisan consensus. There's be one thing we should be able to agree on in this country is that, like, freedom and human rights and democracy are good and those things are bad. And all of a sudden we... Americans are realizing, the polling shows this, that it's not just about feeling good and having, you know, a good idea about the way the world works. It's about saving our lives. That's what the pandemic has brought to our the fore in like, stark reality. Josh Rogan of the Washington Post. A-plus, brother. A terrific yeah, job. Yeah, was really good. Great writing. I hope we can talk again. Thank you. Anytime. All right. All right. Great. Thanks. It's How amazing. Good was that? It, very good. It's amazing that communism continues, though, because Xi came up in that system. Uh, most of the, the, the higher ups grew up under communism. They know how it works. How come they don't understand how faulty the system is? I, I think he probably spends all day, every day, trying to make it better, um, because he understands, you know, the the success of the regime and the actual happiness of the people. Is, is how he holds on to power. Meanwhile, you cover up like a madman. Uh, I think he probably tries as hard as he can. It's just the nature of the system. It is utterly horrific. If I'm going to disappear into a work camp or be killed, if I report the truth and it's bad news, I'm never going to report bad news. It's not really very complicated. Yeah, yeah. We're eating lunch at the same table where we dissect the bats. Is that a problem? <laughs> Wow, 300 feet from the market, they're doing research on bats. Armstrong and Getty. song of the last decade, Happy by Pharrell Williams. I'm just looking at the list here. It was also featured in the Despicable Me movies, which my kids are, uh, kids of that age are super into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought I was in that Penguin movie. What was that movie? Was it in the Penguin movie also? I can't remember. I don't know. Can you have multiple Happy car- feet? Can you have multiple Maybe. cartoon movies that you're, uh, you get to be in when you're a hit song like that? Wow. Um, I'm out of the kid movie biz. I'll, uh, I'll keep my mouth shut. Yeah, the Despicable Me movies are hilarious. Uh, yeah, it was on the Despicable Me 2 soundtrack. Yeah, and they loved that soundtrack. Anyway, Happy was the number one song. Rolling in the Deep, the most played, the second most played of the last decade. Oh, that's a good song. Moves that was like that Adele. Was that, is that the one where she's calling up the, the guy? Or No, that's Hello. Yes. And she got, is that the one where she's got the wind and the blowing through her hair in the video? Yeah, I'm going to need you to be more specific. <laughs> Isn't that most <laughs> Moves like Jagger by Maroon 5. I think we saw that at the Super Bowl. That was number three. You got that moves like Jagger. Then your feeling back-to-back songs, Can't Stop the Feeling, followed by I Got a Feeling, mm. between Justin Timberlake and Black Eyed Peas, Uptown Funk. Yes, fantastic. Um, I don't even know what having a hit song means anymore. I, that, you know what I'd really like to know for data? How much money anybody made off any of these songs. I'd love yeah. to know that. Did you make yeah. it to the, the single song from the 90s that made the, oh, that no, made no, the no, list? Oh, no, no, no. Which one is that? It's the very last one. Very last, so... 
Torn by Natalie Imbruglia from 97 made it into the 2010s. I'm baffled. It just showed up somehow? I have no idea why that is. Somebody discovered it or something? It may have been like the the Despicable Me. Maybe it was on a soundtrack of something that that hit particularly hard in the last 10 years or something. That happens sometimes. Uh, or was it the you know like the background uh, playing in the background is like the Star Wars kid did something mean <laughs> you know one of, one of those phenomena right. right so here's a conversation that happens IRL in real life in my life what food expiration dates mean and especially <laughs> now with the coronavirus thing going on this is the number one shared story in the New York Times because people are staying home going through their pantry and uh, either the husband or the wife is saying, we can't eat that. It's past the best buy, best, best buy date. Right. And then the other one says, that doesn't freaking mean anything. <laughs> right. We're not throwing it away. I'm eating it. At your own peril, you'll eat that. Uh, the food expiration dates you should actually follow from the New York Times. We've gone oh, this through this is, before. This is so important. This is good because I'm the chairman of this in my house, and Judy's always coming to me. Uh, you know, with, uh, let's see, this is Campbell's soup that's six months past, and I'll think, hmm. Do you tend to soup, liquid, can, um, throw it out. Then she'll say, how about this dried gravy mix? It's five years past the date. And I'll think, oh, dried powder envelope. Hmm. Do you tend to be on the, uh, the the more conservative one or the more liberal one? Like, my, my wife throws away, wants to throw away anything if, you know, if it were two days away from the expiration date. Oh, I will no. eat something no. a, a week past an expiration date. And no, I am definitely on the skeptical slash cynical side about the dates. And this is another one of those genetic things that I would have uh, considered it, it had to come from like a childhood trauma or, you know, some bad food incident or something that caused you to be this way. But I've got two kids and one's like me and one's like her just automatically. Sam, the 10-year-old, man, he gets out a spoon, like to have a bowl of cereal. He looks it over, turns it out, gets it in the light just right. Just got to make sure there's not a speck of food on there, is there? Or any food, got to smell it first, look it over. Henry's like me. You grab a spoon in a bowl, you start eating. And if there's no spoon, (laughs) grab a dead rat. (laughs) And if you come across some chunk of something weird, you spit it out. Wipe it on your jeans or whatever. Exactly. Whatever. Judy and I had a can of soup the other night. It was bulging. It was leaking a little bit. You know, but they got my heart restarted, like, in the blink. It was fine. <laughs> so I thought that uh, Laura had come to this personality court. No, you're clearly just born with it, because Sam has it, too. It's really oh, yeah. interesting. Yep. Um, the first thing you know, you should know that the, the dates as we know them have nothing to do with safety, according to this person in the New York Times. With most of us quarantined in our homes, chances are you've been reacquainting yourself with the forgotten spices and uh, f- fusty beans from the depths of your pantry. I don't know what fusty, fusty beans, beans are. But the question is, when is the right time to throw something out? And what about the ingredients, etc., etc.? Here's the first thing you should know. Expiration dates are not expiration dates. Food product dating, as the U.S. Department of Agriculture calls it, is completely voluntary for all products, with the exception of baby food. Everything else, it's voluntary whether or not you do it or not. All right, so learned a new word. Fusty. Smelling stale, damp, or stuffy. It is literally... A combination of funky and dusty. Fusty. Fusty. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that word. Also, old-fashioned in attitude or style. You're a little fusty, aren't you? Um, Not only that, but it has nothing to do with safety expiration dates from the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's what it says here. Uh, It acts solely as the manufacturer's best guess as to when its product will no longer be at peak quality. 
Okay, so their main concern is they want you to take a bite of this sour cream and think, ooh, that's delicious, as opposed right. to this isn't that good, maybe I'll try a different brand. That's what they're more interested in than that it's turned and it's dangerous. That's right, interesting. Yeah. Everybody assumes that it's got to do with safety and health. No, it's about when it's going to taste best so you'll buy more of it. No, I'd say the two are somewhat related. You know, I'm not eating four-year-old sour cream, for instance. There's a big gap between product at its peak and inedible. Oh, clearly. Yeah, clearly. Food manufacturers... And I like to test that gap as much as possible. Yeah, I'm all for pushing the limits. I'll vomit it up if it's too bad. Uh, food manufacturers also tend to be rather conservative with those dates. That's what I always assume. Knowing that not all of us keep our pantries dark and uh, open our refrigerator minimal as necessary. Um, I've always assumed that this is like the most careful, you're like really, really being as strict as possible expiration date. So if the milk expires today, as long as I've kept it cold, I'm sure it's fine tomorrow. Well, sure. The manufacturers want to err to the side of deliciousness. Why would they gamble? Uh, Let's start with things you definitely don't have to worry about. Vinegars, honey, vanilla, or other extracts. Sugar, salt, corn syrup, and molasses will last virtually forever with little change in quality. Virtually forever. I'm curious uh, about why that is chemically, like some of the stuff, like honey and and molasses, which is sweet. Because the bees know what they're doing. (laughs) Don't argue with me. (laughs) Regular steel-cut or rolled oats, those are fancy terms. I don't know what they mean. Steel-cut oatmeal is a really... A lot of health people, right? Like what the if, freak does that mean? I don't. It means it's 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 chunkier and it's harder to prepare. But uh, it's but better for you. Steel yeah, cut. Yeah, that's what they say. Is that it, more of the husk? God, <laughs> the people who come up with terms like that, I hope they get the bonus they deserve because they the catch on. The husk. Just, it always reminds me like when we were at that bar that had hand crushed ice. I mean, just oh, that yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> What the hell do I care? <laughs> you, you use your hand, you use the hammer, you had an elephant sit on it. What do I care? Put it in there. <laughs> Daddy needs to forget his problem. Hand crushed ice. Steel cut oats. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Flour is almost certainly fine to use no matter how old it is. Whole wheat and other whole grain flours can acquire a metallic or soapy odor within a few months, but they're still okay. Mm. Eh, soapy odor. Metallic odor. Whatever. Ugh. The whiter equals longer rule of thumb is true for grains as well. White rice, for example, will last for years, while brown rice will only last for months. Whiter? This sounds racist to me. (laughs) I'm not even going to repeat that. It's true, it's true. I'm just not even going to repeat that. Say it. Uh, I'm going to get down to the things that go stale. Uh, Shelf-stable supermarket breads made with oils and preservatives can stay soft for weeks in the fridge. But the lean, crusty sourdough from the corner bakery will be stale by the next day. Well, we all just intuitively know that. It's amazing how quickly fresh bread goes bad. Yeah. It's really only good, like, in the next couple hours after you bought it. Yeah, it starts to go good, downhill. It's so oh, yeah. Good. Oh, it's so great. Fresh from the yeah. bakery, still warm when I grab it, like Ooh. yesterday. But within hours, it's not as good. Right. Which just shows you how much preservatives is in the other stuff that you're keeping around at room temperature for a week. Little scary, honestly. Uh, dried beans and lentils are safe. I'm not going to eat lentils. Skip to something I'm going to eat. Listen to um, you sneering at the steel cut oats and lentils. What about canned or jarred goods? As a rule, metal lasts longer than glass, which lasts longer than plastic. Okay. 
So long as there's no outward sign of spoilage, such as bulging or rust, and leaking, don't eat rusty soup. (laughs) Or visible spoilage when you open it, such as cloudiness, moldiness, or rotten smells. Oh, thanks for that tip. (laughs) If you're choking it down, you open it. It's just got a layer of mold on there. And And it it smells like a grave. And you just go ahead and throw it on the stove. There's no helping you. (laughs) Right. This smells rotten, but I'll bet it's fine. What right. nobody nobody's ever said. I'm not said wasting that eighty nine cents. I'll just cook <laughs> it an extra seven minutes. <laughs> uh your canned fruits, vegetables, and meats will remain as delicious and palatable as the day you bought them for years. Did you know that? If they're in a can. For years they'll be just as good as they would have been on day one. Mm. How many years though? As a family that's moved a couple of times and in cleaning out the pantry, realized we'd moved we'd moved a couple of dry packets of like gravy four or five times. Wow. I mean, they dated we, back fifteen should we, years. Should we start a GoFundMe for you? <laughs> I mean, that's just I'm very thrifty. Packets of gravy you're moving from state to state and hanging on to for years? Oh yeah, and they were thirty nine cents to begin with. <laughs> was there sentimental value or Well, there was. That picture of the turkey on the front of the packet. It just looked so delicious. It reminded me of mom. Here's a couple of good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Mustard lasts forever. Yes. Ketchup will start to turn color before the year is out, but will still remain palatable. Ah. Ooh, it's great. still ketchup. okay, but it's a weird color. What color? No. The color does matter. How poor are you? Uh, Go get some more. Roughly the color of uh, decaying flesh. That's, I know it's gray, it. honey, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, contrary to popular belief, mayonnaise, especially when it doesn't contain ingredients like uh, fresh lemon juice or garlic, has an exceptionally long shelf life. This is obviously you haven't opened it yet, right? Yes. Yeah, clearly. Um, so, yeah, ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise you can keep in there for a long time before you finally open it. Huh. Uh, rotten egg smell is what you want to stay away from. If, uh, if, if, you, if you smell the rotten egg smell on anything, you want to stay away from it. Well, it makes you want to vomit. I think you should go ahead and listen to your inner voice. The nose knows. Yes. Um, Unless you get the corona, the COVID-19. Lose your sense of smell. And uh, Start eating rusty, moldy soups. (laughs) Exactly. Bulgy soup. It takes a very long time for eggs to go bad. How long, long? it says here. The Jillian date, didn't know that was what it was called, printed on each carton of eggs. That's the three-digit number ranging from... 001 from Jan 1 to 365 for December 31st. I didn't even know that. I learned something today. I did not know there's a three-digit number on the eggs that represents the day of the year. And why did they do it that way? So it's 276, and i got to figure out, okay, 30 days, January, 60 days, February. Why don't you make it easier for me? <laughs> you know, that's a good point. You just put 6-15. Everybody knows it's June 15th. Yes. That represents the date the eggs were packed, which in most parts of the country can be up to 30 days after the egg was actually laid. I didn't know that. So they're packed 30 days after the egg was laid. You're worried about fresh eggs? What's been going on in that 30 days? I don't know. The sell-by stamp can be another 30 days after the pack date. So you're a full 60 days after the egg was laid. That's really interesting. I don't think most people know that. You'll run out of hoarded toilet paper before those eggs go bad, it says here, though. Wow. Eggs really last a long time. Interesting. Incredible edible egg. I got a little more on milk and stuff like that that might be helpful and other things on the way. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC.
Coast Group or Western State Pact consists of California, Oregon, and Washington. And according to California's Governor Gavin Newsom, will be guided by facts, evidence, and science using California-based thinking. California-based thinking, so their science bros and broettes are going to make decisions based on evidence that is hella tight. <laughs> and the mask will, of course, be made of avocados. There you go. <laughs> Newsom wants to gradually ease restrictions in California in what he called a bottom-up plan. Not to be confused with a bottoms-up plan, which is to keep drinking until this is all over. So the the states getting together, I saw Tim, the lawyer, Tim Sandifer, tweeted something about restrictions in the Constitution on states making deals with each other or something that could get in the way of this. I don't know. Interesting. I'll have yeah. to look into that. Um, uh, his, his piece about presidential power, though, I have more I want to say about that in a couple okay. of minutes because it's just absolutely terrific. And state power and some of the quotes from Supreme Court justices through the years just are are so good. So we were just reading this uh, very popular New York Times article about when stuff goes bad that's in your pantry and the main point being made that there's no requirement to have these expiration date, best buy date things. There, there are very few guidelines for it, and manufacturers are mostly concerned with their product tasting the best. They're not thinking uh, this. Y- you could eat it till this date and not get sick. We want, we want it to taste the best. So most of the time, you can eat it way beyond whatever date is on there, which I've always assumed and has always been true for me. Um, the egg thing was really interesting to me that the uh, the eggs sit around for 30 days before they even put the date on the carton, and then they put a date 30 days past. That's what, it's 30 days before they put the date on there. So they 30 days till it gets to the carton and 30 days before they – so that's 60 full days before you even get it. So eggs last a very long time. So their point was – Eggs last longer than you have to worry about. A friend who is a newly minted chicken farmer gave us some some farm fresh eggs, which mm. were delicious, and said that uh, if you don't wash them, they're good for an extraordinary amount of time. Yeah. If you wash them, you got to put them in the fridge. Yeah, it says here, we all know what a rotten egg smells like. Why else would it be a benchmark for describing other bad smells? But how many times have you actually smelled a rotten egg? Like you opened an egg and it was rotten ever in your life, maybe once, not very often. It just doesn't happen. So I thought that was a pretty good one. Have you cracked um, open any of those uh, those those local chicken eggs yet? The colors of the yolks are unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, that that is noticeably different. Um, ba 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 ba, clumpy milk. Uh, milk is a uh, you look for milk that's a pasteurized at a higher temperature. If you care about that, I don't. We go through milk so fast in our house, it never ever end, ends up being an issue. I actually prefer it when it gets a little chunky. <laughs> Like a chunky style peanut butter, you know. Uh, it seems like there's one more. As long thing. as you can pour it, it's fine. Boy, I tell you what, there's not. It, it makes me gag even thinking about milk that's gone bad. Oh yeah, it just that because we've all done it, we've all poured it, we've smelled it, and thought eh, it seems fine. The, the, Take a sip, and it's just horrific. The mm. instinctual recoil that my body has when I sniff milk and it's gone bad is is very interesting to me. Oh yeah, your your animal brain right at the base of your spine there, that reptile brain is telling you danger, danger. Uh, to to sum up, uh, the uh, the article in the New York Times says, rest assured that most of the food in your pantry you'll be able to eat and get nutritional benefit from long after the zombie apocalypse. So don't worry so much about it. All right, this is a challenge, and I'm sorry it's going to cross an hour because some of you don't get the award winning fourth hour of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Um, but uh, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna have my wife find the single oldest thing in our pantry. 
Jack, is Laura available to do that, you think? Um, maybe maybe we to... ought to report back tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah that Hanson, is... make, make sure we remember that. She's, Laura's, uh, she's, she's very particular about the dates, though. She's probably mm. gone through and thrown out anything that was old. Yeah, boy, we really thinned the herd when we moved. That's when we found the 15-year-old uh, gravy mix. It was at least 15 years old. If if hamburger says today is the last day for it, um, she won't use it. Why? I, I would use it a couple of days from now. Like Best Buy, uh, that date. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I would. It depends how it looks, how it smells. Yeah, if, but yeah, that's fine. I prefer that it doesn't turn gray. It turned that gray color. You know, after oh, sitting around for that is a terrible uh, color. It is a terrible but color. It's, you know. <laughs> It's often yeah. fine to eat, but it's so just it a cooks terrible. up fine. Yeah, it cooks up fine, and they, you know, it turns it turns an edible color when it's in the pan or on the grill or whatever. But the, that original carry-on color is not that enjoyable. Well, yeah, <laughs> but if it's a little rancid, it beefs up your immune system. Yeah, it's actually preparing me for the next uh, coronavirus right. attack. Sure, sure, sure. That and a little clumpy milk. And... Oh, stop it now! You're going to make people vomit. <laughs> is that what you're looking to do? Is that our mission statement here? Uh, we'll, le- we'll link that article at armstrongandgetty.com here in the next 20 minutes or so. Armstrong and Getty.